What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Justin Editor Podcast. My name is Corey Cudney, and I am Justin Editor. But today I have with me somebody who has worked on shows like Rick and Morty, Hulu's Solar Opposites, as well as most recently, the huge success that was Amazon Studios' Invincible. Today we have Matt Sippel. Howdy, how's it going? Good, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Yeah, so I just wanted to, you know, start right off the bat with with the show of the hour, I could say, uh, that is Invincible, because it kind of took me by surprise. I hadn't read the book or anything, and I had heard a bunch of people online like, this book is great. You got to watch this show when it comes out. And so I listened to him, and I started it. And like many people, episode one got me, and I was like, all right, I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> so you are actually one of the editors on episode one. And so yeah. you were directly responsible for a lot of people's retention for this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to start I at was. the beginning and say, you know, like, how did you get on the project? What is your feelings on the project? It's kind of a fluff question, but you know, how did, mm-hmm. what was your experiences on the project? You know, was it as much blood and guts on the project as it is on the show? <laughs> well, I still have all of my blood and all of my guts. Nice. Actually, physically. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, the way I got onto the show, I was working with, this is years ago now, when I was working with uh, one of the producers at a different studio, mm-hmm. I saw that she was she had posted something on LinkedIn, saying like, I need a senior editor. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't feel like a senior role, but I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to Elon anyways and be like, Hey, if you need somebody, I'm here. Let me know which thing. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I got a call from my post supervisor, currently now post supervisor, Andy Levine. And he's like, Hey, come work for us. Um, I mean, you know, close notes, oh, yeah. but uh, yeah. And that's, that's how I got it. I was working at like a, a actually a video game marketing company at the time. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And that didn't really work out so well, but I was also on the, on the look for something anyways, and it just worked out. And I, at that point, I had not read the books. Oh, nice. Um, and then I spoke with Andy and like that night I, I went on Amazon and downloaded the, uh, the whole first compendium onto my Kindle and just <laughs> blew through it before I even started on the show. Yeah. Um, like two weeks, I gave I gave my two weeks at the other place, and then in that two weeks, I was reading all the blood and guts and <laughs> craziness that happens in the first compendium. At that point, the animatics had already been cut, and two of the other episodes had already been com- totally completed. Oh wow! And we're like already already in the can, and then I come on to episode one, and we were working through it quite a bit, and it it kind of felt like it was half done on my end but it wasn't like we had to go through and there were some parts that we had to completely re reboard and had to start over on some of it not all of it but some of it and when i first saw like that whole ending yeah i was like this is insane <laughs> what have i gotten myself into can i stay on this forever <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so you mentioned i mean you've been on uh like i said at the beginning quite a few animated shows is that kind of regular to happen where where you're in the middle of an edit and you're like oh we got to reboard a lot of this or is that kind of a more like special thing to happen oh yeah it it definitely does happen but um kind of like where we were in production it wasn't so Mm. usual like but like the thing with animation is like you don't really know if it's all going to work until it's all animated okay yeah like you 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 assume it's going to work like the animatic is supposed to be working when you send it off to animation but then if, if you get it back like all right this isn't really what i 
envision, then you go back and you you reboard it and you start over for parts and you have it sent back. It costs a lot of money, mm. um, but it's sometimes it happens. So how was it cutting the show where you had just finished the book? It sounds like, yeah. and, and you guys to your, to y'all's credit, like the whole studio's credit. Um, I'm one of the people who believes that I think the show does a lot of things a lot better than the book, to be honest. Um, and, and I feel like you guys improved on a lot. So how was it working on the show? Did you feel that going into the show or, or like, I should say working on the show where you were like, Oh, that's a cool little change that we just did. Yeah, I did. There's, I really feel like it did the work justice, especially mm -hmm. in this first season. Cause they, they, I know that Robert Kirkman was really trying to stay faithful to the books. Yeah. Uh, and it showed you know, when I, when I read through it and I started watching it, like, this is, this is happening almost verbatim. Mm. And it's really cool. There was a few slight changes that they did that I was really happy that they made these slight changes and just to, you know, keep up with the times, so to say. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I guess it was all written between like 2000 or it ended in like 2008 or something. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly when they stopped making the show or the, the comics. But it was like, it's just an update for our modern society. Yeah. But yeah, I was happy they did that. Yeah. And there's a lot of little things like, like Amber as a side character is, in my opinion, a lot more fleshed out in the show where in, so in much the book, better. she's just kind of there. And yeah, in, exactly. In the, the show, you're like, oh, sweet. Like, I totally see why you are doing the things that you're doing. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, the, like the way that they worked with, uh, Amber's character, mm -hmm. I think, does her and the the rest of the show more justice because she's a nice, strong female that doesn't take any crap from anybody. And you know, it's in the books, she was just kind of like you said, just kind of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's how does working on because I, I like to do my research and look at y'all's IMDb's and everything before these these episodes, uh, and I noticed that. A little bit earlier in your career and stuff, you have a penchant for more like uh, animation geared towards kids, I would say, with like Pirate Express. And this one that I love the name, so I'm going to say it. Oh, uh, no. Rainbow <laughs> Butterfly Unicorn Kitty. Oh, no. <laughs> so how does it working? Like you're in the middle of working on Invincible, like I said earlier, very blood and guts heavy show. Are there moments where you're cutting that you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this where just a few years ago, I was cutting this very, you know, kids geared animation. Oh yeah. 100%. <laughs> like, how did I go from that to this? Um, yeah. So like I was working at, I've, I worked at a studio. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I was working in VFX back in like 2013 and I had to get out. I was only there for like six months, but I worked like 20 days straight in a row. And like, oh. I can't do this anymore. I'm not really editing anything. And I just kind of fell into Pirate Express. I, I was, I, they were asking for a, an editor. And I'm like, oh, I'm an editor. Mm. And they, they brought me on. And that's kind of where it started. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't choose animation. Animation chose me. <laughs> it's like going through school and going through everything else like you you're always you always assume that you're gonna be going into hollywood and cutting big feature films which doesn't always happen and so sometimes like just the world decides for you that you're gonna be working here <laughs> and i i just kept getting jobs in animation mm -hmm. and one of my buddies is working at a different company and like hey i got i my contract is you know coming up on 
on Pirate Express. I need I need something else to come up for it. And I just kept hassling him and then hassling the other company. And they brought me on uh, just because I knew that's that's what was happening in town. And here I am going from Pirate Express to Invincible, you know, like <laughs> however many years later. So like at least Pirate Express was it was fun because you can make fart jokes. Yeah. And that's where I kind of like really liked like yeah, Pirate Express is more for like 13 to 15 year old kids definitely gotcha. more skewed towards the boys probably mm-hmm. at the time um i don't think it actually made much of a didn't really get to air completely oh wow! if it did i think it was in like french-speaking quebec uh-huh. um but on that show it was fun it was a bunch of dumb jokes and like me and the director got along really well and i'm like let's just make this joke dumber mm-hmm. and that's kind of like where i was like this is cool i can i can totally see myself working in 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 this area where i get to make dumb fart jokes for a living yeah and then i got moved moved over to this other studio and i was on a couple other shows and that's kind of like where the kids stuff came in because i just kept they kept moving me on like here this show's done this one's coming up would you like to work on this like i like to work i'll keep working i like to get paid yeah yeah who doesn't yeah so i work on that one and then that contract rolled on to another one and that contract rolled on to another one and then I overheard in the studio that Rick and Morty was starting up and the line producer, was he a line producer at the time? Anyways, I think he was a producer or uh, something on Rick and Morty and he and I were working on a different show. I'm like, hey man, do you need an editor on Rick and Morty? He's like, I do. We'll get you on it. Nice. So it was like <laughs> a little bit that's like right place, right time. Yeah. And that was for season three. Oh, sweet. Okay. And in between season three and season four, you can't, you got to work on something else in between seasons. Yeah, it was such a long break. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's where I fell into, wait, uh, rolling back a little bit. We, there was that time when Louis C.K. got into a lot of big trouble mm-hmm. and we were working on a Louis C.K. show at the time in between Rick and Morty 3 and Rick and Morty 4. Oh, man. And so that whole production got shut down. Oh, wow. And like I think we had we had animated like eight minutes of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all right, it's done. It's canned. And there's this entire huge production team without jobs. Jeez. And I was out of work for like five weeks. Mm. But they say, like, we're going to bring you back. We just don't know on what yet. And that's when Rainbow Butterfly Unicorn Kitty showed up. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, it's a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. And it was, I was worked I did animatics on that, and uh, it was it was a time. <laughs> was there kind of a little bit of whiplash going from you know kids show Rick and Morty kids show again? Like it was. It definitely was a bit of whiplash, but like, because these productions are so long. Mm-hmm. You don't feel the whiplash. It's more like like being in the middle of the ocean. All of a sudden, you're like over there, and all of a sudden, you're back up over on the other side of the continent. And like, <laughs> you don't really feel it as quickly as 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 looking back on it like, historically. You know? Wow. Like if you're going like strolling through IMDb, you're like, oh man, you went from that to that to that to that yeah. that quickly. It's like no, but I was like one year here it turned into like two years and those two years turned into like a different year and just kind of flowed. <laughs> so coming from somebody who's never edited animation a day in his life 
one of our previous guests also worked on uh, Rick and Morty. So are you feeling that, and we talked a lot about the animation editing process in that one. And that's pretty much my only like view of how you edit animation. Do you kind of find that all animated shows have a pretty similar pipeline or are you going totally different styles when you're going from Pirate Express to Rick and Morty? Do they have like completely different pipelines? Generally, they're similar. Like mm-hmm. there's the phases you have to go through, but every show is different. Got you. Like every show has its own specific whatever is they need. And then like it depends on how the tech director wants to set up the pipeline for this show and tech director wants to set up for that show. But like generally it's very similar. Like you, you do your animatics and then you send it off to animation. Animation does the posing and then like first pass, then off to like effects and then comp and then like comp finalizes it and then it gives it to the production editor and the production editor puts it all back together. And then, then, then you, the editor ends up cutting it again. <laughs> before it goes off to actual post-production like color correction and sound and whatnot. so do you personally prefer editing on the animatics or like towards the end finalizing editing so with invincible i was on the i came in on after all the animatics were done mm-hmm. and i came in with like all the footage already animated i had so much fun with that show because <laughs> everything was already I hate to say it, but a lot of the hard work was done by Scott <laughs> and the team. And I came in and, and had a lot of fun with cutting their their final product. Nice. <laughs> but depends on the show, you know, like animatics can be grueling work or it can be super fun. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it depends on it depends on the show. Got you. It's hard to really say, you know. Yeah. You mentioned Scott earlier. I was going to bring up um, every time that y'all are credited together on Invincible, it's always you're the editor and he's supervising editor. Mm -hmm. Um, So what does that workflow look like on an episode of Invincible uh, where you're you're both editing, but he's supervising editor? Are you sending him cuts or? So Scott and I never actually worked together. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he I took I. I, I, I filled his role. Got you. Okay. Um, I think he, he left for, I don't, I don't really know why he left, but he left. Got you. And, uh, I came in and finished, finished the job for him. So he, he, I'm not really totally sure what, what his role was, but I'm sure it's very similar to mine where he's like managing the editorial team Mm -hmm. and being like the senior editor, most experienced with XYZ and, getting the animatics done and got you. Yeah. So y'all just like, y'all never even interacted. Okay. That, no. That's, that's fascinating. But, uh, Alyssa, the other editor that was on, so there were a couple of people that were, had been on the show a lot longer than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alyssa was the other editor that had been there since Scott started as well. So she was, okay. She, her and Zach, Zach was one of the assistant editors. They knew the history of the show. They knew where everything was. Like, <laughs> I need this panel. Like, we got you. We got this panel for you. Nice. Um, were y'all working in um, Avid for this? No, no. What were y'all cutting in? Premiere. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I They started in Avid, I think. And then they moved to Premiere just because uh, tech reasons. Got you. So, yeah. And like, I came in. So I, I came from like working on, on animatics and with in animatics and premiere, you can do all the matting and 
you can lay over as many layers as you want and you can animate the mats and do all sorts of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And I took that and I applied it to actual animation within Premiere. And so like I had this like great skill set of basically just like Photoshop and then After Effects, <laughs> but inside of Premiere, I was able to to fix a lot of potential problems that could arise. Like we want to change this and like the lip sync isn't right here. So let's like put some different mounts on there. And we were able to save the animation team a lot of time. That's amazing that you mentioned that because I remember James Atkinson was saying like the same thing on Rick and Morty where he like blew people away because you were just able to mat faces out and you're like, oh yeah, you don't have to worry about touching up this panel or whatever. I got it. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. That's super awesome. Yeah. So after the entirety of season one of Invincible, do you officially feel like a senior editor now? Oh man. <laughs> uh, I, I like, I would like to say yes, but you put me on the spot. I'm like, I don't know if I want to say that or not. Cause I'm too humble for that. Sometimes. But um, yes, I do. I, I feel like I've, I've finally made it in some way. Nice. Like, cause like with Rick and Morty is one thing. Cause I, I was working as a production editor. I wasn't actually cutting it. I was just kind of like the, the technical editor. Just like making sure that everything was correct before it went back to Lee. Mm -hmm. I guess and I had listened to your other podcast with, um, the other Rick and Morty editor, and he mentioned Lee Harding. Uh, Lee Harding was the the master and commander of editorial on that show, and yeah, just going from like that over to Invincible was a lot of different work, a lot more <laughs> creative work. Sorry, where was I going with that one? Man, I don't know. You got me. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so, do you prefer now that you've done? You're like firmly planted in the most adult, well, not the most adult animation, but a pretty adult animation. Do you ever see yourself? I know you can't like foresee the future. Do you ever see yourself going back to the kid realm or would you rather stay in this realm of animation? Uh, until I'm diagnosed with PTSD, I think I'll stick with the uh, invincible side. <laughs> so no, I, the kid stuff, I leave that to other people. Like there's, I like the action part of it and it's fun. It's like, it's, it's right up my alley. I mean, I watch all the, all sorts of, I hate to say it, but fun, violent, crazy yeah. uh, action action movies and things. I don't really watch a lot of superheroes. So I was really bored with superheroes. Mm -hmm. I've been bored with superheroes since I was a kid. Oh, wow. So Invincible might have been right up your alley then. Invincible was straight up my alley. Because <laughs> um, like, I remember as a kid, like there was the uh, Superman dies. Mm -hmm. yep. And I... That was one of the few comic books I bought as a kid. I bought a bunch of, a bunch of like alien, alien comic books and like alien vs predator comic books. And then Superman dies came out. I'm like, I am jumping on that. I am getting that. <laughs> I am so stoked because I'm not a fan of Superman. <laughs> and then fat, fast forward to now, like I'm doing the opposite of all the superheroes. Like super, like especially Marvel stuff is always like they just feel so wholesome. It's kind of paint by numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and then like I. When I read through Invincible, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is where I need to be. After reading and now working on Invincible, do you find yourself at all interested in the superhero realm to give it another try? Or are you still like, I'm going to keep with these guys? I'm going to keep with these guys. Nice. I like it. Like, I, like it. I, we, I get a little behind on on uh, watching all the TV, mm -hmm. but uh, we've my wife and I just finally finished watching the boys and like the boys is also up my alley. Yeah. yeah um, boys is great. Yeah. It's super fun. It's awesome. That's yeah. So as, as my, as my last like invincible question that I've got is another fluff one, honestly. Uh, but it's like, 
there's the boys is a great example where every week for boys season one and two twitter pops off and twitter's just like going crazy about how nuts this is and invincible was very similar uh for my timeline at least where everybody was like you'd wake up in the morning and you're like all right don't open twitter until i watch it and then after you watch it you're like everybody loved the episode so Mm -hmm. how was it for you you know especially because you edited a lot of the seminal episodes um that like battle beast introduction and then the final two episodes which are expertly paced i actually may have uh, other questions on that but like how does it feel seeing people's reactions to just how awesome the show was i was blown away yeah did you kind of feel it while you were editing it that people were gonna dig it or did you not really know I had to temper my expectations mm-hmm. quite a bit while we're, we're cutting it. Cause like, it's, it's hard to know because especially you, you're always under NDA. So you don't know what people are going to be into. You don't know how people are going to react to anything that you're doing. Yeah. And I've been on a number of first season shows that fell flat, didn't go anywhere. Oh dang. And like, I was a little, like a little burnt on that. So I'm like, here's another first season show. Let's see how it goes. Like, this is and then watching like this is great there's gonna be a lot of stuff here but i don't know how the general world is gonna react to a cartoon yeah and another animated superhero thing i don't know how they're really gonna gonna dig it Mm. and then after we got after we got all eight episodes done i'm like this is gonna be awesome (laughs) this is gonna be absolutely amazing but (laughs) i still didn't know it was gonna be as amazing of a reception as it was like i i'm still in shock by how well recepted it was. So I mentioned I I will try not to go in any spoilers. I don't know if it really matters if we spoil anything, but I will try not to. Um, I jogged my own memory when I was talking about it because one of the big things that stood out in uh, the last two episodes, seven and eight of season one, is the whole point of like episode seven is they're trying not to let two characters run into each other. And it's like super tense as somebody who knows what's going to happen. Like I hadn't read it, but it just common sense comes in and like, you know, what's going to happen, but going from seven to eight, there are just so many well-paced sequences that get you on the edge of your seat. And as the editor for you, um, you mentioned like a lot of the hard work was done. Did you kind of have any, I don't want to say freedom, but like, did you get to play with the timing at that at all? Or was that already kind of all established for you? Uh, the timing was pretty, pretty well established for me, to be gotcha. honest. Um, but there were some spots where we really tried to tweak it quite a bit. Um, uh, Jeff and I, the director, we sat, I mean, specifically in the last two episodes, we, we worked on those shows for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And hours. Mm-hmm. But it was a collaborative effort to get that just right. So I can't really take credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> full, full credit. So. <laughs> well, it shows either way. Like it, the, there was those last two episodes are, are intense. They are, yeah. they are solid. Like that, that whole train scene. Oh my God. Oh that, my God. And <laughs> my heart was now. This is, has nothing to do with editing, but my heart was kind of broken when I read the book and I'm like, they just made that up for the show. Like that's the yeah. most heart wrenching part of it. Like that's like, that's, Oh my God. That's Kirkman, man. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That's like, I, I feel like I'm asking the same question over and over again. But like when you're editing it, are you just like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. Like, how much can we show? You know, like, are, are you, have you kind of been worn down by it? The answer is always more. <laughs> Make it like do more. So <laughs> we I know we were 
when we were watching it, like there's not enough blood here. <laughs> there's not enough bodies. There's not enough gore. There's not enough body parts. Like we we need more. Like come on, like amp it up more and more and more and more. And now you now you get what you get. <laughs> yeah, like with the way that like our culture and our, our entertainment has gone, mm-hmm. especially. I mean, I don't want to sound old, but like back in my day, <laughs> uh, like just growing up, it's like there's a, the amount of gore that's on TV. And even in movies has yeah. increased so much over the past 30 years that mm-hmm. it's like when it's animated, you're like, just, just let it all out. And yeah, just show like, whatever. Let's just, let's just, yeah, show it everything. Go <laughs> put more in there. If you can put more blood, if you can make the entire screen blood, just do it. Um, yeah. So like I said a ton, I mean, congrats on the show. It was absolutely amazing. I loved it, but Invincible is the now. Well, it's really like two weeks ago, but Invincible is the now and the here. And I want to go back towards the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you the same thing that I like to ask everybody, just because it's fascinating and I love hearing people's stories about it. How did you get into editing? Like, what was your passions? I mean, what got you into it? So go all the way back to high school, eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. Got you. Okay. Awkwardness, pre-pubescence. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Yes, but pubescence. No. Yeah. <laughs> there was it was a couple of things were were going on. Like I I was riding BMX quite a bit when I was a kid, and like all the BMX videos came out. Like I want to do that. It looks like a lot of fun. So we like my buddies and I we we shot everything all the time. Didn't matter how crappy it was. Mm-hmm. We we would shoot it and I would cut it together. And then also one of my neighbors and friends down the street from me they were a year older they were a grade older than me um so like always like people that are grade older like oh they're so cool right (laughs) um when in reality it's like they're just as dumb as i am Mm -hmm. they were doing some like they were all like like i said you're ahead of me so they were doing all the the product like all of their projects for like biology and english and whatever they would do video projects instead oh wow okay and i helped them out on a couple and then the next year they helped out me on a couple. And so we that's we started shooting really stupid <laughs> pro, like video projects and still got like B's for <laughs> Thanks for trying. Here's yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like you, you guys missed part of it. You guys technically did everything right, but you guys were idiots. Here's we all beat. allowed yeah. to submit videos. So this is so weird. Like I like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. I think we were we were the kids in school that were like, all right, they're the. We weren't. There wasn't an AV class at the time. Like, oh, they're the AV nerds. Gotcha. And idiots. So, like, it was it was a fun time. It was a really mm-hmm. fun time. Um, and then my senior year of high school, one of the computer teachers set up got a whole bunch of money and set up a, like a full editing bay and got like a oh, wow. broadcast camera and I actually set up an AV, not, not AV club, but like mm-hmm. a, an AV course. Okay. So yeah. yeah, like I, when I started my senior year of high school, I was just a, this, it didn't exist. But like, <laughs> like three, three weeks later, like, yeah, this class is actually available. You want to take it? I'm like, Absolutely. Get me in there. Oh yeah. Uh, and there are only four of us. There were three in the period before me and then myself all alone. <laughs> <laughs> and as that's when I just, I was pretty much left alone, allowed to do it whatever I wanted. And 
was able to shoot stuff, cut stuff, didn't matter what it was, bring my own camera, bring my own footage, go out and shoot stuff for school. Mm-hmm. And was able to do that an hour a day, every day for an entire school year. Dang. And then it was like, I want to go to film school. <laughs> and then I went to film school. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? Uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Okay, okay. Yeah, it, at the time, it was one of the, the largest film schools Dope. in the okay. country. And like outside of like New York and LA. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to move to LA. I didn't want to move to New York. It's like I was coming from Cincinnati and like those, those places are too big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Chicago was awesome. Chicago was super rad. And like, I got to go there. I want to go to the school. I'm going to finish everything. I'm going to do it. And I did. Nice. I stuck with it and learned a ton of stuff. Like I, I'd never heard of an avid <laughs> before I, I went to, went to film school and then, I'd never used Avid after film school up until like the past like three years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be real. I haven't heard much good things about Avid, to be honest with you. Never used it. I've never heard a good thing about it. I'm just gonna say it. It has its place. It really does. It really has its place. Like there's some things that Avid can do that the others just don't have as an option. Especially when it comes down to like color management. Really? Okay. Yeah. When I was working at the news station, that was that was the big thing is nobody used the creative department that I was in that did all the commercials. We used Premiere, but the news mm-hmm. station to cut all the news footage that they were going to air, they all used Avid. And so that was like a weird divide. And I was like, I can't use your NLE. You can't use mine. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I'm working in Avid right now on, on animatics and I kind of just wish I was in Premiere. Because mm-hmm. like it just feels faster in Premiere. There's like it takes three clicks to do one thing in one and two clicks to do another one. It's like, it's just efficiency. Yeah. But also like at me, Ab is avid. It's, it's been doing its thing for 40 years. I don't know how long. <laughs> and they, they're a standard for a reason. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's good to know both. It's really good to know both. Um, but I'm just like every day in fighting with avid like how do i how do i do this oh it's 16 steps like oh my god oh my god a lot of google i just just, yeah (laughs) i wish i could just do this in four in premiere four steps Mm. but i don't i don't want to get too far down that that road (laughs) so you're out of college yeah 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 yeah. what what next you said that you got eventually into the visual effects realm is that was that immediately after that or did you get some (sighs) no it wasn't so i was um I was working, I was still working at the school Okay. as, as a projectionist. Oh, wow. So like they, they, they had a, they have a whole big theater up there with like a 35 mil system. And nice. at the time they had a whole like HD system because HD was new, new hotness. <laughs> and I was working up there with a buddy and then I eventually ended up working as an assistant mm-hmm. at a politically or political media consulting firm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was like, I answered a, a posting on Craigslist. <laughs> and like two weeks later, the one of the partners of the company was speaking at the school. Mm-hmm. And I was the projectionist. I was the person that was running the whole AV room. And I went up and talked to him at, at the end of the night. Like, hey, I, I, this is my name. I was super awkward. Um, <laughs> like, hey, uh, my name's Matt. I applied for your thing. <laughs> uh nice to meet you bye <laughs> then you just run away <laughs> yeah pretty much and uh like the next three or four days later i get a call from him and the editor mike burning was also a columbia grad oh nice okay so like it all just kind of came together and i worked at a 
political media consulting firm, which was super weird uh, yeah. for a while. But it was we were doing all um, like left leaning Democrat associated stuff, and we we did some we didn't do it was during the the two thousand six seven eight cycle. Gotcha. So yeah. it was like leading up to Obama's first term, mm-hmm. and I, I was like I I at that time like I want to do good stuff with my with my talent. And being here and trying to get Obama elected, it was going to be amazing. And we did. We helped. And I felt really good inside. But it was a ton of work. Mm-hmm. Um, as with every assistant, every assistant has this story where like, you have to stay there overnight to get stuff into the system. And like, I keep hearing this story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like every time I did it, the internet went down. Oh, geez. So like, the internet and the cable would go down. So I'd be sitting there like staring at the ceiling while things things were recording off tape in into final cut but yeah so that was, that was my first real industry job so to say mm-hmm. and then that was back in chicago and then we moved moved out west and then i was out of the game for a couple of years because uh, i was in seattle okay because there re- wasn't really much in seattle there's a lot of like free independent work and like i gotta be paid mm-hmm. um but i ended up working on a small documentary about bike pull up which was a lot of fun i was working at a bike shop at the time and like i'm also a cyclist and oh, the, guy, the guys that were there were all like bike polo kids <laughs> and, and they, had, they had some like hey there's some people working on a on a documentary about us you should cut it i'm like heck yeah that sounds amazing <laughs> let's do it yeah let's do it and they put me in contact and i cut a documentary in my time in seattle nice and then and then moved up to vancouver and then visa stuff is visa whatever a couple years later mm-hmm. then i got into into the vfx world uh for about six months and that was all i needed <laughs> <laughs> which i wanted to ask you about because again imdb the yeah. source of all of my knowledge um has you down as an io coordinator and i don't know what the heck that means an io coordinator so io stands for in and out oh okay okay an io coordinator is pretty low on the totem pole Got you. Got but you. they are the the first people to see the footage and the last people to see the footage. Mm. Very similar to being a, an editor. I applied for an assistant editor job, and in the in the interview, they're like, "Yeah, we want you to do this." Oh gosh, I hate those interviews. Like, you know what? I'm okay with that because I really want to get back into this industry, mm-hmm. into film and, and editing and things. I've been out for a while. Like, this is where I need to be. And uh, so, anyways, an IO coordinator, you would receive plates from the client, whoever the client may be, whatever show it is. And uh, VFX people know what plates are. Mm-hmm. And you would go through, and it was just a ton of metadata that you have to go through to make sure that everything's right. And then you put it into your hour version of Shotgun, okay. like shot tracking software. And and then it's off. Then it's off into the ether, and the artists do their thing, and it comes back around to us. And then we QC it before it goes back out. You, you're, are you just watching it on repeat, like just focusing on different areas? What I was told how to how to do things, like do like the the heads and like compare and contrast to like an old plate or, or something. Yeah, and then go to the middle, check that. Go to the end, check that, and just make sure that there's nothing crazy going on, and make sure that all the frames are there, the frame counts are right. Mm-hmm. And then then you would give up to somebody else, and they would actually transfer the data to the client. Nice. So like kind of when all said and done, when it's said like that, it sounds like a pretty boring job, but the team was amazing. My boss was awesome, but we were also working like 16 hour days for 20 days straight. Yeah. Not, uh... so it was like not 
not the greatest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> while you're there, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so out of VFX, uh, where was you said that's when you go into into the kids animation? Yeah, like like I said earlier, I just kind of fell into it. I I responded to a thing on LinkedIn or on I don't remember where I saw the the job posting, but went into that and and the producers like you've got experience, you're better than the other guy. Have a job. <laughs> So going into that one was a relative like cold application. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So the 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 VFX was cold, uh, cold app. Well, it was responding to you know job posting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't completely cold. Got you. And then had an interview, and they they said, "Hey, come work for us." And I told the VFX place, "Like I'm leaving. Goodbye." Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> what was the first couple of weeks like that? Uh, jumping on to Pirate Express, where was it just like, ah, oh, this is heavenly? It was because I, I was working normal hours. I was working at a solid nine to five thirty, maybe six sometimes. You were like, I can have dinner at six o'clock and go to bed at ten. I can see my partner every night. I can yeah. come home and sleep in my own bed. <laughs> I don't have to nap at work during lunch. It's this is so nice. Jesus. Yeah, and uh, it was it was nice. It was also getting back into like Final Cut Seven at the time because I really knew Final Cut at the time. Didn't know Premiere very well, mm -hmm. and it's like I know how to do these things, and I ran with it. So on our hierarchy so far, if if you have a a, a running tab, if you will, of of editors, we have a Premiere above Avid. Where does Final Cut fall into that ranking for you? So at that point in time, Final Cut Seven was awesome mm -hmm. uh, and I had not had not used Premiere all that much like I used Final Cut 7 since my experimental editing class in film school <laughs> through the consulting firm and then at home and then at on, and then on Pirate Express so that was probably 2006 2013 I thought it was great at the time um, yeah and then I got into Premiere and Premiere has evolved fairly well over the years. It has its bugs, it has its problems, mm -hmm. but it's it's great now. I I love it. I love Premiere. Uh, but Final Cut X is it's dog shit in my perspective. I hate it. That is a a common theme I've heard about editors who who really liked Final Cut. As soon as as soon as X came around, people were not happy. Yeah, but if you talk to Final Cut X uh, editors now, they will their minds will explode and they'll want to jump down your throat and like, nah, man, I don't need to use it. I know what I know once you use Final Cut X, so I'm not even going to try to use it. Yeah. <laughs> even though like I had, there was a, there was a short that I did uh, and it was a, it was a pilot that did the color grading on and the guy, the director cut it in Final Cut X. And so I actually had to buy Final Cut X for that one project, I spent the entire income that I got from him on Final Cut X. Oh my god! <laughs> because I needed to use it for some, uh, some transfer. Oh yeah. So, was it worth it? Have you ever been back? <laughs> I've never been back. No. Oh man. But but you know what? I have it. I've I've paid for it. It's done. Oh, yeah. I have it on my computer, and then like it'll update forever until they go to <laughs> Final Cut, whatever it's going to be. Which like you can't say for Premiere. Like you oh, yeah. Have to pay for the subscription, blah blah blah. It's all about the journey. Now you have that, you know, forever. Yeah. 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 You're stuck with it. That's it. It'll it'll go on, you know, to your your next of kin <laughs> after you pass away. Here's yeah. your Final Cut Pro. Yeah. I've got my my old Power Mac T3 
tower sitting next to me that I haven't used in ages. But, <laughs> but it has all these old programs on it mm-hmm. that I will probably maybe use in the future, but I doubt. <laughs> but it will be passed on to generations to come because of that I paid for everything that's on it. <laughs> it's under my name. It's fine. It's not pirated, I swear. I have actually never thought about this until right now. As an editor, do you feel like you need to have a, because you mentioned earlier, it's good to have the knowledge of all these. Do you feel like you need to have, like, be up on all the programs? Like, do you have a say, I guess, in in any of the programs that are used when you're going into a show? Or is it, you're kind of just told this is the program you're using? Uh, yes and no. Gotcha. Um, it depends on where you are in the hierarchy. Depends on who, depends on, depends on what the, the host supervisor wants to do Mm. like for a while because going back to avid and the color management i was a big advocate for bringing avid into a studio i I didn't make the decision like we need to do this because the show that i'm on needs to have needs to have avid to make sure that we're doing the color correctly yeah Uh, and premiere isn't working like it's 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 spitting out incorrect color i think it's wrong gamut oh Um, we couldn't we couldn't it wasn't spitting out a full full range of rec 709 so we're like well I guess we have to go to Avid for it. <laughs> but Final Cut X, no one uses it in this town for what we're doing, mm. for what I'm doing. So like it's it's always Avid, Avid and Premiere. Um, so to answer your question, like it would be good, like if, if uh, to younger younger folks out there, it'd be good to know everything because you don't know where you're gonna land. Um, you could you could drop into a marketing firm that only has Final Cut X, and that's it. You can drop into a major motion picture post-production company and be only on Avid and DaVinci Resolve. So it's like, it's smart to have an overview of everything. And then like, once you're establishing your career, then you kind of like, you, you focus on one of them or you focus on two of them, whatever it may be. So you have to like really have to flow with the, the industry as well. Yeah. So like Avid is still a major player and always will be, but Resolve is coming up in the ranks quickly. Yeah. And like Resolve's free version is very powerful. Yeah, surprisingly so. I've been yeah. I've been recommending that to people lately. Like yeah. it's kind of got a weird, like not a weird, but a daunting UI, I guess. But mm-hmm. like once you get used to it, it's like for free, it's fantastic. Yeah. And like for for any any up and coming editors, anybody that's in high school or anybody that's in college, download Resolve. Like I'm not paid by Resolve. Uh, but download it and use it like that is a great editing program you have every you have the entire suite like not the entire thing but you have a great set of tools at your fingertips for free Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's where adobe is failing you know like they they do they have all their their stuff but they charge everyone yeah it's not you're gonna be spending like thousands of dollars over the course of however many years to to keep it on we can also just have Resolve for free, which is almost the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's fantastically handy. That's at, at my current studio where we main Premiere, but uh, mm-hmm. both my boss and I are like, ah, we're going to start learning Resolve. I tell you, that node-based editing or the node-based effects throws me off. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I was the node-based, node-based, that whole term is new to me as well, especially mm-hmm. in the editing realm. The node-based color grading, I've been starting to get it. Oh, okay, yeah. And so like, I've been seeing the node-based stuff in, like, watching the animators work on Rick and Morty. It's like, it's all node-based. They're working in harmony. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting a little, like, little bits and pieces. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> what's that there? What's that do? 
and they'll show me like this is this is the web the spider web of of their work like oh okay so that's what's going on in davinci resolve when i do all these nodes and things and connect them and connect them and whatever whatever it's got the coolest ability for you to zoom out and then you're like oh shit i did that yeah. that's dope yeah <laughs> so to wrap it up as i always ask everybody um for you specifically you can't say invincible because that's a cop out and i will not have it and so I want to know what is your favorite project or moment or couple of projects? Like what's your standout if you have to say of your career so far? Oh man. So the two Emmys on Rick and Morty. That, it, that would be a highlight. Wait, wait, are, did you win the Emmys? No, I did not. No. Okay. I, I was about to say, we didn't no, even no, no, talk no, no, about no. this. No, but the, the show, the show won an Emmy two years in a row yeah uh, uh, uh seasons three and four and those combined would be the highlight of my career so far i mean invincible outstanding <laughs> but uh can you say that you're an emmy winning editor on your resume like can you do that that's a gray area i don't know <laughs> i just say it worked on on an emmy award winning emmy show. award it's like i've got these two certificates sitting, sitting behind me to say uh uh, for contributions, nice. Okay, to the Emmy awarding, blah 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 blah. Okay, yeah, then it totally um, counts. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but the the animation director on the show got to go to both both award ceremonies and was on stage and got got the statue and brought the statue back to the studio and passed it around. <laughs> so, like, holding the Emmy. Oh, sweet! That is close to a crowning achievement yeah that's that's crazy something that i never ever imagined <laughs> to hold it in, in my lifetime yeah matt thank you so much this has been a fantastic time <laughs> i'm glad it wasn't terrible for you <laughs> <laughs> well if you're listening and you would like to catch up with matt a little bit more you can follow him on twitter at curved wall ride um, you can check him out you know i feel like he's a solid follow so far i've been following him for at least <laughs> i think a week and it's been a good time so far you can also find me on instagram too on the at the same handle no it's a uh, matt sipple semi-official perfect i love it yeah you'll find me there too well thank you so much for listening everybody uh if you would like to subscribe feel free to drop a subscribe on youtube or any of the podcast services that you normally listen to um, thank you so much, and I will see you in the edit bay.